0: I'm Bill Lawrence, and this is my big bag of onions.
1: The Gulf Maine to
2: California, broken hearts that pass this night we'll share a lover On that
3: dog radio How so many people.
4: Raised and regimented hardly a hero, just someone whose mother might know very clearly a case for conflicts and classes, two teas both with sugar flea in the back of an alley. While little dirt cowboys turn brown in their saddles Sweet chocolate biscuits And red rosy apples in summer For it's hay make and hay mom. Do the papers say anything do All the chances in life for little dirt cowboys Should I make my way out of my home in the woods? Brown dirt cowboy, still green and growing. Seriously, Captain, fantastic the feedback, the honey, the high. winners and the 68th of a festival wood flowers. a thin
0: Listening to my big bag of onions.
5: "'Done, dear,' I said. "'Will you keep a wee eye on the potatoes?' "'What am I supposed to do with them?' my husband asked. "'Breathe deeply, Eileen. Just be patient and talk sweetly,' I reminded myself. "'I was pleased I'd resisted the urge to ask him if he was stupid. "'Just watch them, and when they're cooked, take them off the stove and mash them,' I replied with as much patience as I could muster. "'Pretty simple, wouldn't you think? We both work full-time.' Over the years, we've tried to negotiate household tasks fairly. When one cooks, mostly me, the other cleans up. Don does most of the shopping, and I take care of tasks around the house. He's in charge of car maintenance and bills, and I organize the vacations. And so it goes. It works well for us. On this day of what's now known as the potato fiasco, I'd prepared the meal. The potatoes were almost ready when I remembered I needed to get to the bank before closing time. On my return to the neighborhood 30 minutes later, the smell of smoke tickled my sensitive nostrils as I turned onto our street. There's a house on fire, I thought. When I reached our driveway, my nose and my stomach rebelled. The windows and doors were wide open, and as I walked into the house, I shivered with cold. Bits of potatoes were splattered all over the stove, the countertops, and the floor. What on earth happened here? I screeched.
6: Me to go. I must leave you broken hearted. Down the tears they began to flow. They kissed, embraced, and sorrowfully parted. Just as the cocky began began to crow, began to crow, began to crow. Just as the cocky began to grow When will you return again? When the fishes, they do fly The seas, they will run drunk And the rocks will melt unto the sun The sun Around. So
7: The frustration of having always to pursue a future good in a tomorrow which never comes and in a world where everything must disintegrate gives men an attitude of what's the use anyhow? Consequently, our age is one of frustration, anxiety, agitation, and addiction to dope. Somehow we must grab what we can while we can and drown out the realization that the whole thing is futile and meaningless This dope we call our high standard of living, a violent and complex stimulation of the senses which makes them progressively less sensitive and thus in need of yet more violent stimulation. We crave distraction, a panorama of sights, sounds, thrills, and titillations into which as much as possible must be crowded in the shortest possible time. To keep up this standard, Most of us are willing to put up with lives that consist largely in doing jobs that are a bore, earning the means to seek relief from the tedium by intervals of hectic and expensive pleasure. These intervals are supposed to be the real living, the real purpose served by the necessary evil of work. Or we imagine that the justification of such work is the rearing of a family to go on doing the same kind of thing in order to rear another family, and so ad infinitum.
8: Harm could an innocent little adverbial modifier do? Look no further for evidence than quite, which has been the cause of confusion, unemployment, heartbreak, and hurt feelings, all because of a subtle yet vital distinction that is lost on Americans, to the consternation of the English. Both nations use quite to mean completely or totally. This meaning dates to around 1300 and applies when there is no question of degree if you say a person is quite nude or a bottle is quite empty, it might sound oddly formal to the American ear, but it will cause no controversy or misunderstanding. Nude is nude. Empty is empty. The trouble begins when quite is used to modify an adjective that is gradable, like attractive, intelligent, or friendly. For then the English use quite as a qualifier, whereas Americans press it into service as an emphasizer. In English English, quite means rather, or fairly, and is a subtle way of damning with faint praise. To an American, quite simply means very, and amps the adjective, no subtlety there. Is anyone surprised? The stereotypes of the discerning Brit and the hyperbolic American have as much currency now as they ever did. American adjectives have always gone up to eleven.
9: she builds big bag of onions. Looking over this list, Caroline quickly noted the few possible benefits of innovation that seemed irrelevant or unhelpful to her situation, or that she had already tried. She crossed discovery, vitality, and productivity off her list. Then she crossed off security, because that was the method she was trying already, and the idea of cutting her spending much more would mean completely upending her life. Even after she crossed off four of these eight benefits, though, she still had too many choices. Which was most important? There are natural tensions among some of the innovation approaches. Caroline had already discovered one herself. She could spend more time making money to pay for her father's care, blue, or she could spend more time learning to care for her father and caring for him personally, yellow. But she couldn't be both at work more and at home more. Both of these results would be valuable to her, but they were competing with each other. More of one almost always means less of the other. That's why my colleagues and I called our original business model the competing values framework. There are two questions that can help you spotlight the competing needs of opposite approaches and see the natural trade-offs in order to make clear which is more important for you. The questions ask you to describe the kind of innovation you need. A. How fast do you need this innovation to work? B, how much innovation do you need? Big changes or small?
10: I've been here before, feel like I've been here before.
11: It was quite astonishing that their motivation was almost used as a political tool to suggest what they were, what their real intentions were. And there have been several movies that have been made about them and they were treated as heroes. So when I asked several young Japanese people today whether they would consider doing it and what would be the, you know, what would be one word to describe those Kamikaze pilots, one of them said heroic or um, courageous. The other two said stupidity and uh, they were rational or something. Um, so opinions are very split. And what I discovered was that those kamikaze pilots were almost used as a a political tool for decades after the end of the Second World War because at the end of the war, when the Allied forces led by America um, came to Japan and occupied the country for seven years, they were quite fearful of why those young men could actually drive themselves to die for the country. So they went after their reputation, and when the Allied forces left, their reputation was the first thing that some of the the nationalists went after to to win back mm-hmm. the the reputation, you know, respect and honour that they thought should be restored in their reputation.
7: onions yang punya bill.
0: Of the 19th century and through the Victorian period until the Great War, professional cricket was enormously popular, I and mean, it was much more popular, really, nationally than soccer, which had also organised itself in the 1870s and 80s as a professional sport, and also the Rugby League, which had started in the 1890s. And although they had their followings, nothing quite captured the national imagination as opposed to the regional imagination, because soccer and rugby league were very much northern sports until the great war as cricket did and the whole nation would follow test matches uh, and obviously there was no television or radio in those days but when the england team went abroad the evening papers would have scores telegraphed back to them and people would anxiously await the lunchtime editions of newspapers to hear how england had done the previous night in australia and there was this great sensation in 1894-95 when the team led by A. Stoddart won the Ashes and uh, the whole of England every lunchtime during that winter hung on the, on the news as the evening papers uh, arrived to see how the, how the team had done. And it was something that actually united society because it wasn't just that the players were from all social classes, the people who watched cricket uh, tended to be from all social classes as well and in a way that people who watched football and rugby league tended to be working-class people like the people who were playing it. So it embraced the nation in those 25 or so years before the Great War with its great celebrity players in a way that it probably never has done since.
3: me tell you this Before I walk out of
4: this Some funny But I don't think that's funny I'll tell you this I'll get away out of this Cause I don't need to miss So get away out of this
5: Bill's big pack of onions. Are you sure? Yes. As the sun rose in the sky, I tried to read, but lost my place several times and kept reading the same sentence over and over. Instead of concentrating on the words, my head throbbed with thoughts of, how dare he? Just a few steps from the car, my husband stood casting his fishing line toward the lake, perfectly at peace. A fine mist fell from the sky as birds, ducks, frogs, and crickets sang a marvelous melody, a perfect blending of their voices. Even the occasional splashing of the fish fit the harmony. Marvin looked the picture of serenity standing on the edge of the lake, fishing pole extended. While I sulked in the car, he had the audacity to enjoy himself, not noticing how miserable I was. This was early in our marriage and becoming one was proving to be more of a fairy tale than a reality. We were at Split Rock in the Pocono Mountains, one of the most stunning and romantic locations I had ever seen. The setting made me envision every love story I'd ever read, and every romantic movie I'd ever seen came alive with my husband and me as the main characters. I envisioned us holding hands, taking long walks, cuddling, and just shutting out the world. I wanted to experience the passion and the closeness of a couple so deeply in love they could exchange skin and still not be close enough. Unfortunately, that was not the same idea my husband had in mind for the trip.
3: you invite me along, please? I'll treat you like a king.
12: of November 4, 2008 was the night John McCain lost his dream to become president. Yet speaking to an audience of faithful followers gathered outside an Arizona hotel, McCain spoke of his commitment to the nation and urged everyone to get behind the new president, Barack Obama, one whom McCain said he would be proud to serve. Some in the audience gently booed, but McCain would have none of it. He thanked his followers and reiterated the ideas upon which he had run his campaign, but he made clear his commitment to bipartisanship rather than give in to the emotion of the moment and the sentiment of the crowd, McCain demonstrated the true character that shaped his life. Don't depend on it. Counterintuition is not fail-safe. Done incorrectly, you can seem manipulative, as if you were playing mind games. Therefore, doing things differently or unexpectedly must be in character with your leadership style. The reason Bryant and McCain could get away with their counterintuitive moves was because they had established a relationship with their followers. It was based on mutual trust. Each knew the other had the other's best interest at heart, even if it took years, as in the case of collegiate players, to discover. Manipulation is about short-term gain. It is typically rooted in self-interest rather than the interests of the whole. Effective leadership, by contrast, is about managing for the whole, doing what's best for the team. Sometimes individuals will suffer, yes, but by and large leaders strive to do what is good and right for everyone.
2: Smashing my heart Sent me to the bottom of the sea I should know you better now And when you come, the majesty To entrap me, prince of life seated The sooner the better now And when you come to cover me With your kisses, heart like armor the sooner
1: the better now
2: I'll know you by The thunder Pouring like the rain, a rain of flood to my emotions Hey That is why I stumbled From the distance, burning and exploding.
13: constantly being told that the only way now to get a job is by networking. And what's really interesting is that if you read the handbooks for how to get a job in the 1920s, people would say personal connections, yeah, they're good, but they're not going to get you the right kind of job. So don't only rely on personal connections. But we've completely flipped the advice. And one of the reasons that we have flipped the advice and stressed networking is because applicant tracking systems are now not always well-programmed. People don't even ever get to talk to a human being or have their CV reviewed by a human being when they're applying for a job. And there are too many applicants for jobs. And so now the way to be able to get your CV noticed at a company is to find someone who can vouch for you at that company or who knows someone in that company and can actively vouch for you. And it's preferable if it is the hiring manager. In workshops, what people normally say that is you aim for weak ties and you aim just for what what people understood as the second degree connection on LinkedIn. Anybody who you happen to know. But actually this advice is coming from a very beautiful but historically specific study by Mark Granovetter, who discovered in his set of interviews in the early 1970s that people... We're getting jobs by meeting their second cousin in a parking lot and telling them that they were unhappy in their job and getting tips about what jobs were available through these weak times. Bill's big bag of onions.
10: Solid love All around the town The hearts are going under Love bandits Corn and plunder There's nobody put us under This solid love We got a chance Hot dog dog We got a chance No more, no more Fly by night romance We got this solid love Love has always made me feel
14: Suffering is always the effect of wrong thought in some direction. It's an indication that the individual is out of harmony with himself and with the law of his being. The sole and supreme use of suffering is to purify, to burn out all that is useless and impure. Suffering ceases for him who is pure. There could be no object in burning gold after the dross had been removed, and a perfectly pure and enlightened being could not suffer. The circumstances which a man encounters with suffering are the result of his own mental inharmony. The circumstances which a man encounters with blessedness are the result of his own mental harmony. The circumstances which a man encounters with blessedness are the result of his own mental right thought. Wretchedness, not lack of material possessions, is the measure of wrong thought. A man may be cursed and rich. He may be blessed and poor. Blessedness and riches are only joined together when the riches are rightly and wisely used. And the poor man only descends into wretchedness when he regards his lot as a burden unjustly imposed. Indigence and indulgence are the two extremes of wretchedness. They are both equally unnatural and the result of mental disorder. A man is not rightly conditioned until he is happy, healthy and prosperous. And happiness, health and prosperity are the result of a harmonious adjustment of the inner with the outer of the man and with his surroundings.
0: again soon for another journey through the pleasures of music words and sound I'll be seeing you bill's big bag of onions has been produced and directed by adrian cohen and is a guppy production for corn radio